Welcome to Rancho Baptist Church. This message was brought to you by the gifts and love offerings of the people of Rancho Baptist Church in Temecula, California. Pastor Jason Swanson is our senior pastor here at RBC, and this message was recorded during our regular Sunday morning services. And today Jason is in part two of his Christmas series here in 2018 in a sermon he's entitled, The God Who Favors. Turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 1 again, and we're looking at verses 26 through 38. Here's Jason. Well, good morning again. I am Pastor Jason, the senior pastor here, and we are taking a little bit of time out of the book of Acts in order to prepare our hearts for this Christmas season so that we would remember the reason for the season and that we would be reminded of the significance of that baby born in a manger. In particular, today we're going to look at Luke chapter 1, verses 26 to 38. And as I was preparing for, for this message this week, I, I kept being reminded of two instances where I, I saw this text of Scripture taught actually quite a number of years ago. One of them was when we came home on home assignment and I was watching the television in a, in a very prominent pastor from a big church was, was making his way, honestly, expositionally through this text of Scripture. And when he, when he got to the virgin birth, he, he stopped and he said, you know, I know this is difficult to understand. And I know that some of you, perhaps, you just, you just don't think this was possible. And he said, that's okay. That's okay if you don't believe that this happened. What's really important is that Jesus died on the cross for you. And that you believe that. As long as you believe that, that's good. And I walked away going, no, that's not good. <laughs> no, that, that's very not good. Don't say that. Because that isn't what God's Word says. Why would God communicate this to us in order for us to say, oh, you, you don't have to believe this. Because this is what frames all of the coming of the Lord and makes sense and allows us to understand how He could be without sin. Born of a virgin. Then, then, then my mind also goes back to a time in our village in, in Papua New Guinea when we were serving as, as missionaries as a group came in to our village and, and, and requested that they could teach. And it was around Christmas time. And, and so, so they opened up Luke and they came to this passage. And they taught from this passage. And, and what they said was that that you have to believe that Mary was God in order to be saved. They said that the only reason why Jesus was sinless was because Mary was sinless. And they were totally off. And praise the Lord for, for the godly men that, that Christ had raised up in the church there. And they took these guys aside and they, and they, and they taught them. And then they came to my house later on that night and they apologized. They said, man, we're sorry for messing up God's Word the way that we did. Jason, would you, would you mind leaving <laughs> this group? You know what? These guys already know your Word well. We're pastors. We've gone to this school and that school and we don't even understand. Can you come and teach us the Word like you've taught them? And, and, and I said, no. Our, our work is not completed yet among the Siawi people. But I, I will pray that the Lord will raise up someone to, to come to you. 
that is the reality. We need to pray for more missionaries to send out. Praise the Lord for the Nevermans and, and, and for their ministry in Florida, reaching college kids. But let's continue to pray for more and more missionaries. So turn with me to Luke chapter 1. As we're going to see, a sermon that I've entitled, The God Who Graces. Last week it was the God who remembers. This week it's the God who graces. Verses 26 to 38. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the descendants of David and the virgin's name was Mary. And coming in, he said to her, Greetings, favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was very perplexed at this statement and kept pondering what kind of salutation this was. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I am a virgin? The angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, and for that reason the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. And behold, even your relative Elizabeth has also conceived a son in her old age, and she who was called barren is now in her sixth month. For nothing will be impossible with God, And Mary said, Behold, the bondslave of the Lord, may it be done to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you for your written word. Thank you for the living word. And for the opportunity that we have this morning to be taught through your word. Allow Your Holy Spirit to to be the one who illuminates Your Word and makes it clear this morning. And set me aside that we may all grasp the significance of what the virgin birth means to our wonderful faith and for sending us Your Son in the form of a helpless babe so many years ago. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. It's interesting as we think through the, the different accounts of Jesus' birth, whether we, we were going to look at the Gospel of Matthew or we're looking at Luke, what we see is we see lots of verses dedicated to the, the time before the birth of Jesus, lots of verses dedicated to the time after Jesus, but when it comes to the actual birth of Jesus Christ, there, there's not many verses about it. In fact, we're going to see next week, it's only a verse and a half. In Luke chapter 2, 6 to 7, where it says this, The days were completed for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son. That's, that's it. That's all that it gives us as far as the depiction of, of exactly what happened when he was born. The emphasis of, of Luke and Matthew 2, actually, is not in describing the actual birth of Jesus Itself, as vital as that is to the outworking of God's plan of redemption. And that is vital. 
but the emphasis is clearly more on how the events before and after the birth demonstrate how God is actively fulfilling His Word in providing salvation and redemption to his, for His people through the incarnation of His Son, in particular, as we're going to see today, through the virgin birth. And just as we saw last week with, with Gabriel coming to Zacharias, Today we're going to see things that are very similar in those two occurrences. We're going to see, we're going to see yes, that, that there is an angel that comes and it's actually the same angel. And his name is Gabriel. We'll, we'll see that, that, that when he comes there's confusion or perplexity on, on the part of the one who the angel's visiting. We're going to see that there's a heavenly message delivered. We're going to see an objection raised to that particular message. And then finally, we're going to see reassurance and a sign given. But, but I think too, as I tried to bring out last week, we need to also recognize that as important as Zacharias was in, in, in last week's verses and in that context and how important John the Baptist was, that everything points past them. And who is really being highlighted is the Messiah. The coming of this baby. And, and today it's very similar. As important as Mary is, everything points past to Mary. And it, and it points to this. It points to the God who graces. And what this is all about is God gracing Mary and God gracing mankind. And it reveals to us just how important this idea of the virgin birth is. Because how could someone be born of human flesh and truly be one of us without being sinful as all the rest of us are? And, and it's only through the miracle of the virgin birth that that can be accomplished. So God reveals to us exactly how the virgin birth is to take place before the virgin birth ever happens. Why? Because God is a God who we, were, who we will see He's a God who sends, a God who graces, and a God who answers. So let's see exactly how God has made Himself known. First through this, through the God who sends. Verses 26 and 27. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth, to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph, of the descendants of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. The first thing that we notice is there's a tie-in. There's a tie-in from what, what we saw last week happening with the angel Gabriel and Zacharias and from what we see happening now. He relates it to the six-month period that has transpired since Gabriel went to Zacharias and Elizabeth has gotten pregnant. Now she's been pregnant for six months. It's tying those two in one with another, showing that they're not distinct. And among themselves, they fit into a, a picture with one another. And actually what happened with Zacharias was pointing forward to this day. All pointing forward to this day. Just as John the Baptist will be pointing forward to the Christ. To the Messiah. And just as we saw last week, we, we see this week that this angel Gabriel... He didn't come of his own volition. It wasn't his plan of redemption. It wasn't his idea. He was sent. He is a servant. He is sent by God according to God's 
providence according to God's plan of redemption. And this is all unfolding right now as part of God's plan. But look at the city that he goes to. He goes to the city called Nazareth which is so small that he has to actually articulate what region it's in because nobody would even know about it. This again speaks of God's grace, that he would reach down not to a great big city such as Jerusalem, but that he would reach down to the small little city of Nazareth that nobody would even know about, so much so that he'd have to make a declaration as to what region Nazareth was in. And then we see this depiction of who exactly angel, the angel Gabriel was coming to. To a virgin. That's how, that's how he delineates her right from the start. He's emphasizing exactly what kind of state she was in. Why? Because this delineates, this separates Mary from everyone else. From all these other women that we could see had important births throughout the scriptures even pointing back to last week and thinking through Elizabeth. Why? Because Elizabeth was married. She was not a virgin. And if we go back further to Sarah, we, we would say the same thing. That yes, she was old, but she was, no, she was not a virgin. And if we were to look at Rachel, we'd see the same thing. And, and, and even Hagar. This Greek word, For virgin, it it literally means a young woman of meritable age and has this emphasis on virginity. It it comes from a Hebrew word which is used 50 times in the Old Testament and every time that it's used, it's it's talking about a woman who has not come together with, with a man. It's understood that she is indeed a virgin. But not only is she a virgin, but she is what? She is engaged to a man. And engagement in, in, in this time frame is much different than engagement today. People come in and out of engagements all over the place today. It's, it's not something that, that's so much a permanent fixture. For them, when somebody was engaged, it basically meant they were already married. The only thing that hadn't happened yet was he had finished constructing his house and she had moved in with him. As well as them coming together. But as far as the marital consent that I'm committed to you and you alone, it's already done. So she had already done that. And now she was just waiting on him to construct the house or however they're going to work it. And they would, she would then move in with him. And that would then consummate the marriage. The only way to get out of an engagement was either you die or you divorce. Much different than our day. And it shows the significance behind her particular situation. That she was already engaged And then it ends with this. Look at 27. And the virgin's name was Mary. He'd already said that she was a virgin. That was how he introduced her. So now he's giving us her name, but he again adds this idea that she is a virgin. Why? Because God wants to emphasize how important the virgin birth is. This is not something that we're supposed to miss. This is something that is tantamount to a very important part of our Christian faith. And so God sends this angel and He clearly communicates to us who He has been sent to. He's been sent to a virgin and her name is Mary. But we also see right away that that this God, the God whom we serve, the God whom we worship this morning is the God who graces. Look at verse 28. 
And coming in, he said to her, Greetings, favored one. The Lord is with you. This term greetings, it isn't just your normal hello, hi, how are you doing? There's a nuance in the Greek that, that actually brings with it a, a command. It's an imperative. And, and, and the idea is he's commanding her to rejoice, to be joyful, to be glad, to be in a state of happiness. What? Yeah, it's, it's very strange. It's nuanced. And maybe that brings about some of her perplexity, but would bring out more of her perplexity is the fact that in their culture, a man would never approach a single woman with, with a greeting like this. It wasn't something that you do. It was taboo. On top of that, if she was engaged, it was even worse for a man to approach someone like this. An engaged woman. Why? Because that could be construed as a challenge to the fiancé's authority. But this doesn't stop Gabriel from coming to her. Why? Because God is a God of grace and He wants to grace Mary. And he explains that right away by saying what? Favored one. It means to cause to be the recipient of a benefit. To bestow favor upon. To favor highly or literally to bless. It's the word grace. That you are the graced one. Grace given without any view of earning it. It's the same word used in Ephesians 1.6 where, where it says, for His glorious grace which He has freely given. Literally what Gabriel is saying is, is good morning Mary, you who are being graced. And then he says this, the Lord is with you. If everything else hadn't already just thrown her into a major state of confusion, this would have as well. The Lord is with you. That, that's curious. It's, it's the power of God as Creator, but also joined with His authority. That He has the right to tell you what to do. Why? Because He is your Creator and He is a the authority over everything. And yet, this angel says, this, this God is with you. And no doubt she's thinking, well, what do you mean he's, he's with me? For over 400 years, we haven't heard anything from him. And now all of a sudden he's showing up to me here in this place? No doubt this confused her. And I believe what, what Gabriel was trying to get across is, it's not that he was trying to direct her to a what, but to a whom. That this is a personal God and that he was on a journey being sent from him, a mission from God to grace her. That just as Moses had, had received God's unexpected, his undeserved and, and his overwhelming grace, now Mary received that grace as well. You know, I, I've heard the term before that when people speak of Mary, they call her the mother of grace. She's, she's not the mother of grace. She's not the author of grace. She, she's the daughter of grace. She's been given grace by the Heavenly Father. And she is blessed among women, no doubt. But, but she is not the author of grace. And the wording that he uses here is very similar to, to Judges 6.12 in Gideon where God approaches Gideon and says, hey, I'm going to use you. I'm with you. And you know what Gideon's response is? Like, Wait, what do you mean you're, you're with me? Where have you been? The Midianites have taken over everything. And in, and in much the same way with that kind of perplexed state that Gideon was in, we see that with Mary. Look at, look at verse 29. 
But she was very perplexed at this statement and kept pondering what kind of salutation this was. So we see the word but as in contrast. In contrast to the wonderful good news that that Gabriel had just given her, she's not rejoicing. She's not seeing this as something oh so great at this point. Why? Because she's perplexed. That means to be disturbed wholly. To be agitated as with coming to an alarm. Some translations translate it as greatly troubled. And actually, this word is stronger than the word that we saw last week to describe Zacharias as being fearful. The angel had come and totally confused her and brought her into this this great state of perplexion where she is incredibly troubled, greatly perplexed. But notice the cause for her perplexity. Why she is so confused. It's not be, or why she's even fearful if, if you want to look at it as that, as being troubled. There is that perspective as well. It, it's not because she's come in face to face with this holy angel as it was with Zacharias. The reason why she is so troubled is over his words. His words, she just can't seem to figure it out. What is God thinking? What do you mean he's graced me? And praise the Lord that, that God doesn't keep Mary in this state of confusion and, and, and trouble for long. As the angel responds to her in verse 30, the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Again, he makes this much more personal than he made it with Zacharias, where all he said to Zacharias was his name. Here, after saying her name, he, he then singles her out and says, You, Mary as opposed to all the other women that God could have chosen, He has chosen you. And He has graced you. You have found favor. It's more the idea, now you have discovered that you are now in the state of God giving you grace. She hadn't done anything to deserve this. God had just freely given it to her. And, and notice too that God's answer to her perplexity, to her being so greatly troubled, is grace. God's grace being displayed to her. And next he tells her exactly how this grace is going to be manifested. How it's going to work itself out. Look at verse 31. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. And you shall call him Jesus. This word conceive in your womb, it's to become pregnant. It's a technical term. And yet the Greek construction of, of this verb is very telling. Notice it's in, you will be. It's in the future tense, but it's got this nuance of meaning that it implies a command that is resistless not to follow. Meaning that God is going to accomplish this, Mary. That He is going to do this. And as a result, you're going to bear a son. And you shall name him Jesus. This, this again is quite different than what we saw last week. Where Zacharias, as the father, was told, okay, you're gonna, you need to name him John. Now, instead of approaching the father, he comes to Mary. Why? Because Joseph is not Jesus' father. That's the whole point. Jesus has no human father. Yes, later, 
Joseph will adopt him as his son and then he'll have full rights. But humanly speaking, Jesus has no father. So it makes perfect sense and it actually adds to everything that God is trying to communicate that he then sends this angel and tells Mary, hey, I know this kind of goes against normal culture and everything else, but you're going to be the one that names him. And you're going to name him Jesus. Why? Because there's significance behind that name. That name that is the name above all names. That is the transliteration of the Hebrew word Joshua, which means Yahweh saves. In Greek, very similar. It means God will save. Matthew pens it like this in 121 where he says that his name, Jesus, was given to him because he will save his people from their sins. That is why she is to name him that. And Gabriel tells her, not just the name, but then he makes five predictions about this Jesus, whom she will bear. Look at verses 32 to 33, and and we see five predictions. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. The first prediction that we see is that he will be great. Notice that these are all given in the future tense and it's emphatic. It will come to being. That He will be great. But notice this is different than what was said about John the Baptist. Where it said He will be great in the Lord or in the sight of the Lord. We don't see that with Jesus. Why? Because Jesus' greatness is unqualified. It's absolute. There's no condition attached to Jesus' greatness. It's not that He's going to only be great in the sight of the Lord. He is going to be great, period. End. Why? Because He is God. And He is like no other person ever born. Because He is God. And as being God, this is where He goes to the next with the next prediction. And He will be called the Son of the Most High. Again, this is pointing to the fact that he has equality with Yahweh. For in Jewish thought, when when someone was called the son of someone, you were ascribing all of their qualities, all of their characteristics with that particular father. So in essence, what he is saying is that everything that God is, so will the son be. Perfect in every aspect of his perfections of His characteristics, as holy as Yahweh is, as righteous as Yahweh is, as glorious as Yahweh is. And the third prediction. The Lord God will give Him the throne of His father David just as Jesus is from the descendant, from the line of David, and David was a king. Jesus will be the eternal king who reigns on David's throne in the millennium. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever and his kingdom will have no end. Isn't it interesting to note that that when it talks about Jesus' kingship, the Messiah's kingship, it, it uses terms like he will reign forever. His kingdom will have no end. It gives us the eternal perspective that once Jesus starts reigning, He will not stop. He will reign forever. And it's again pointing what to His kingdom? 
And you would think that at this point that Mary would be so encouraged that this is what she's been waiting for. She's been waiting for the Messiah, for Him to come. And now all of her, all of her questions are answered and she's good to go. No, nothing of the sort. Instead, what we see is verse 34. Instead of having all of her questions answered, it's actually produced bigger questions in her mind. Verse 34, Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I am a virgin? Literally, she's saying, since I am not knowing a man, I've not known a man, I've never slept with a man, it is impossible for me to be pregnant. And I'm planning on staying in this state. So how is this going to happen? And those who say that, that, that Mary isn't a virgin aren't, aren't looking at this text. It's clear. She's speaking for herself now. It's not just the angel describing her. She's saying herself, I am a virgin. So how can this work out? The idea of, of the Messiah coming and being born of a virgin actually isn't something that Mary would have been totally clueless about. It's something that if she had read Isaiah 7 verse 14, she would have known that there it speaks of a virgin giving birth to one that she would call Emmanuel. And so then what do we see next? Instead of just keeping her there, and never telling her how this would all happen, but just working everything out, we see that God is the God who answers. Verse 35, The angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you and for that reason, the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. Remember Zacharias? He was rebuked. He was silenced because he questioned. And now Mary questions and there's no rebuke. Why is that? Because Zacharias needed convincing. He said, how can I be certain? Mary was certain that God was going to accomplish this. What she needed was she needed to know what the plan was, what the process was, since there's no way that she could see it happening. Because she was a virgin. And yet there's no rebuke to her. There's an answer. And the Lord tells her exactly how this plan is going to work and what the process will look like. And that process looks like first the Holy Spirit will come upon you. It's to move or to come to someone to arrive from a superior position. It's recognizing that that the Holy Spirit is going to be involved in this. And not only that, but the power of the Most High. God the Father as well. And when you think about the fact that this will be the seed of the Son of God, the Trinity is involved. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. This verb has the sense of, of, of the holy, powerful presence of God. And yet, even in the Greek culture, it was used when a cloud comes over something and casts a shadow over it. No doubt, just as you and I have seen, but it's much deeper and broader than just that. It no doubt brings the illusion as well where it points back to the Israelites being led by what? By a cloud as they, as they came from Egypt to the promised land. And what did that cloud represent? That cloud represented the very presence of God among them, with them, guiding them. 
And then it goes on further. It just doesn't stop there with this overshadowing in the cloud. As the tabernacle is set up, do you remember what happens? As God comes and resides in the tabernacle, it's a cloud that comes and envelops the tabernacle. This divine overshadowing of the earthly tabernacle. It's a foreshadowing or it was a pointing forward to something greater. To the living tabernacle. To the Christ. To the incarnation. Which is just what John says in his Gospel. In John 1.14 he says this, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. That, that word dwelt in the Greek it means to pitch a tent. And it recalls the tabernacle. Everything was pointing backwards, saying just as God was with us, God has now become flesh and He is with us. Or in particular, He will be with us. That the Holy Spirit will come to her and He will place the seed of the Messiah in her. And for that reason, the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. Jesus is the only child ever born who is truly called Holy who has no sin. All children up to this point cannot be called holy. You and I just need to spend some time with children from one to five, right? And we all know that that's the case. Jesus is not like any other child born. Jesus was entirely holy. In fact, He was more than that. Jesus knew no sin. 2 Corinthians 5.21 He did no sin, 1 Peter 2.22 He had no sin, 1 John 3.5 And He was without sin, according to Hebrews 4.15 And as a result, He shall be called the Son of God. Notice that it doesn't say He will become the Son of God. Why? Because He always has been, always will be the Son of God. He is God. It isn't that He became the Son of God. He has always been the Son of God. From all of eternity to all of eternity. But notice that, that even though God doesn't tell Mary how this will happen exactly, He, he just says, okay, the Holy Spirit's going to come and, and you're going to be with this child and, and, and even in that, this child's gonna grow in you just like he's grown, like all mothers have ever had a, had a baby grow in their wombs. This is exactly gonna be the way it's gonna work with you, Mary, even without having ever slept with a man. But he doesn't leave it at that. In verses 36 and 37, he, he continues to bless her more. as He gives her a sign and gives her a reminder of God's wonderful power. Verses 36 and 37, And behold, even your relative Elizabeth has also conceived a son in her old age, and she who is called barren is now in her sixth month, for nothing will be impossible with God. And isn't this just God's grace in action? She didn't ask for any kind of sign. She didn't ask for any confirmation, but God gives it to her. And he says, that, okay, just as Zacharias was given a sign, and what was his sign? His sign was that his, his mouth was stopped. The sign that, that Mary is given is that, that her relative Elizabeth had conceived. And she no doubt knew Elizabeth, because we see right after this, she goes and visits her. To confirm it even more, and, and no doubt to, to help build her faith, that what indeed the angel said was going to happen 
is going to happen, that it wasn't some weird dream that Mary had, but it was reality. And then think about this verse that it's just got to be one of the most powerful verses in Scripture. For nothing will be impossible with God. This points back, and this would point Mary back to Sarah. Do you remember when God comes and and, and He tells Abraham and Sarah that they're going to have a child in their old age and what does Mary do? She laughs. And then do you remember what God says? He says this in Genesis 18, 14. Is anything too hard for the Lord? It's a very similar wording. The replied, that's a rhetorical question and, and the implied answer is no, of course not. And that's exactly what the angel is telling Mary here. He's saying, in essence, okay, look, Mary. If this God that you serve, that I represent, that I'm His servant, if this God could do something like He did with Sarah way back when, and He could allow her to have a son, and if this same God who already has come to one of your relatives, Elizabeth, and blessed her and allowed her to become pregnant even in her old age, He most assuredly, Mary, is capable of allowing you as a virgin who has never slept with a man to get pregnant and to give birth to a son. Why? Because nothing is impossible with God. Nothing is impossible with God. How would you have responded in, in, in such an encounter? How would you have answered the Lord at, at this point? Or the angel, Gabriel, if he had said this to you? Would you have said, oh sure, yes, I, you've got this, Lord. What, yeah. Or, or would you have actually wavered in your faith and said, well, actually, can, can you clarify things a little bit more for me? Can you tell me exactly what day this is going to happen? Where I'm going to be? And is that the way that Mary, Mary responds? No. Look at verse 38. And Mary said, Behold, the bond slave of the Lord, may it be done to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. This first word that she says, Behold, is kind of like the intention getter. to to let the angel know, man, I am listening, I get you, I understand. Listen, I am a servant of the Lord. Actually, she's saying more than that. When she says a bond slave, she's literally saying that she is a slave. And and when she uses this term, back in this day, it, it, it signified someone who was totally submitted to whatever her master had for her, for her, or for whatever master had for them as a slave. Total belonging and total submission. That's Mary's response. And and I believe that that she actually gives us a pretty good definition of, of faith in this. For Mary, the desire for God's Word to become reality in her life was the chief thing. She had faith in God and, and what she really desired above all things was for God's Word to become reality. 
But also notice how, how Mary says nothing about the soon-to-come shame that, that, would, that she would endure because of this premarital pregnancy. No doubt she, she's going to suffer as a result of that. She's going to endure much shame. And, and yet when she responds, it says nothing about that. Why? Why would Mary respond like that? Because her submission to the Lord is one of a willing servant. Not a begrudging, reluctant, or resentful slave. Oh, that I would have a heart like that in my service to our King. You know, on the surface, as I started off saying that that these two stories that we've looked at of these encounters with with the angel Gabriel, that they seem so similar. As you really look at them deeper, you find that, that they're not so similar, that there are major differences between the two of them. Because Zachariah and Elizabeth, they had priestly credentials. Even though he, he might have not been one of the, the big, strong priests of Jerusalem, he, he still was a respected man. Mary, not at all. The place where Gabriel comes and visits Zechariah and Elizabeth was the temple. It was in Jerusalem. That's, that's the Jewish religious and cultural center of all of their life. Nazareth, nobody even knows what, who, where <laughs> Nazareth is. And as we're going to see next week when, when, when we're talking about the birth of our Lord, it's very similar. It's rustic and it's simple. Not the place where you would think a king would be born. Zachariah and Elizabeth are seen as examples of someone well-respected in the Jewish history of, of Abraham and Sarah. Whereas Mary, she, she's more closely akin to, to Hagar and, and, and more of an enigma. And their responses as well are altogether different. As Zechariah responds on the basis of human possibilities and doubts what God promises, whereas Mary does not doubt but merely wonders how God is going to work this out, how He's going to accomplish His promises to her. And then in the end, when she does respond, she responds in faith and total submission. Let me close with, with some points to ponder. Just some things for us to consider on the basis of of what we've seen today. Number one, consider what the angel Gabriel says to Mary. Nothing will be impossible with God. God did the impossible by becoming man. Praise God throughout this week as you consider how He accomplished the impossible by being born to a virgin or of a virgin so that through the birth of the baby born in a manger, salvation was made possible. Number two, Consider the faith of Mary this week. What, what does Mary's faith teach you about taking God at His word even if you do not understand how things may work out? And ask God to grow your faith in Him. Number three, consider how Mary says nothing about the soon-to-come shame that she will endure because of a premarital pregnancy, but fully submits to God's plan as a willing servant And consider yourself, are you more like a willing servant or like a reluctant slave? Ask the Lord to turn your heart into a willing servant's heart. Let me close our time in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank You so much 
for your wonderful word, for being such a gracious and loving God, for gracing Mary, and as a result, gracing all of us, Lord. If there is someone who does not know you as their Lord and Savior, Lord, I pray that that you would save them now, that you would allow them to grasp the significance of this baby that was born in a manger, that they would repent, that they would see their need for a Savior, that Jesus lived a perfect life, that He was sinless, that He was the spotless Lamb of God, and that He died in order to offer salvation, and that all those that would believe in Him would have eternal life, Lord. We pray that if there is someone here who does not have eternal life this morning, that you would grant them eternal life by allowing them to turn to Christ. Go with us now as we leave here, empowered by your Spirit, reminded of your wonderful Son and the way that He entered into our world. In Jesus' precious name, Amen. Hey, thanks for being with us today. It's always a pleasure to serve you with this CD ministry. Here at Rancho Baptist Church, our mission is to glorify God by making disciples who love God, love others, and live to reach their world for Christ. And if you have any questions regarding this sermon, or just perhaps knowing God in a deeper way, don't hesitate to give us a call. Our phone number is area code 951-676-2911. Or you can reach us on the web at www.ranchobaptistchurch.org. That's www.ranchobaptistchurch.org. Have a great day in the Lord, and God bless you as you continue to walk with Him.